Morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good? Yeah? All right, you haven't convinced me, but I'll believe you. Um, so you guys, if you guys have been around here for a while, you know that I love movies, and I will often talk about movies. But my wife also loves movies and TV shows, and there's a particular part of movies and TV shows that she really likes, and that's the prep montage, okay? If you're familiar with action movies, if you're older like I am, you ever watch the A-Team? It all starts with this hype music, right? The prep montage, and it builds. And if it's a team of people, they come together and they shake hands and the differences of the past fade away. If it's an individual, they deal with the ghosts and the hurt of their past and they start looking towards the future, towards the battle in front of them. They start, maybe they modify some vehicles, they go get some vehicles. They start assembling their gear. There's really unnecessarily aggressive shoe tying and, and, and magazines getting slapped into guns. I don't really know what difference it makes whether you slap a magazine into a gun or not. And they're, they're, there's the slow walk, right? The wind's blowing from the perfect angle. There's like this filter. They adjust the frame speed and they're walking towards the battlefield. And then the music fades. And out of the darkness, the, ne the nemesis appears and the battle's about to ensue. That's where we are in our conversation of the three great enemies of the soul and dealing with our first enemy, the devil, who is, despite our modern sensibilities, very real, very intelligent, a spiritual being who wants nothing more than to do damage to God. But he knows he can't do that directly, so he comes after God's people. And the primary way that he does that is through lies. And we talked about the big lies that we all face. The lie that we are not who God says we are. The lie that God is not who he says he is. But Satan is smart, so he doesn't just throw random lies at us. He attacks us specifically and personally where it hurts. And usually when we're at our weakest. And I've, each week I've tried to give you a different tool or a weapon, right? Those aren't conventional weapons, but the, those divine weapons that demolish strongholds so that we can do battle against Satan. So we have all these pieces, but now we put them all together in our battle plan. And here's the battle plan. It comes from James chapter 4, verse 7. Just two parts to it. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So James the brother of Jesus, to his original audience, to us, is writing to us because he wants to encourage each of us to give our entire heart to Jesus. You know, the book of James, there was argument about whether it should be included, and some people wanted to take it out because it so um, concentrates on how we handle how we do things, right? The work that we do, how we handle hardship, how we handle our mouths, how we handle our money, how we handle our circumstances. But James's point is all that stuff is supposed to flow from a heart that's submitted to Jesus. So I'm going to spend the first chunk of time, the majority of our time, talking about this idea of submitting ourselves to the Lord. We're then going to celebrate communion. The guys are going to do a couple more songs, and I'm going to kind of wrap us up talking a little bit about that resistance, which is nothing more than putting together those tools that, that we've talked about. 
So when we hear the word submit, often, often, often has negative connotations. It, um, there was a, an expression when I was younger, say uncle. Today's expression might be tap out, that version of it. But to give you some context to that, when I was little, young, I would wrestle with my dad, good-natured wrestling, play, right? And we would wrestle for a while. When he got to a point where he thought I was done or losing ground, he would say, say uncle. And if there was silence and I kept fighting, or if I would just defiantly, no, right? And I would keep trying to, trying to beat him, you know, little four, five, six-year-old me trying to, trying to wrestle my, my, so my father, right? He's like, He's like 5'8 by like 5'8 by like 5'8. He's like a cube, right? He's just solid, just like a... <clears throat> and um, as I got a little bit older, right? So he, I, every time, it would end up in uncle. And as I got a little bit older, I realized that we had stopped wrestling. And my dad confessed later on as an adult. He's like, yeah, you got too close to beating me. There's no way I was going to say uncle to you. There's no more wrestling, <laughs> right? No more wrestling. This, our submission to Jesus is not like some cosmic say uncle. James is encouraging us to turn our hearts over to the Lord who is full of grace and compassion and kindness and goodness and, and be slow to anger and he's just. It's the exact opposite of whatever the exact opposite of, of say uncle is. And I wanted to um, bring up something I noticed last week. So I, I, once a month, we have discussion. We break up into groups, and we discuss kind of what we've been talking about. And I, I got to walk around, and there was, um, there was a theme that was developing in everybody's conversations. And it was, it was this idea that um, we we're talking about the lies, right, the lies that we hear. And the, the prevailing lie that was coming through was, I'm not good enough. Not me, Tom. I mean, I'm not good enough. But that's what everybody was saying, I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. I'm not doing it right. God is tired of me. God is sick of me. In summary, Christianity, a relationship with Jesus, is a meritocracy. That if we have good things, we've earned them. We've done something to earn these good things, the blessings of God. And if we have bad things in our life, we must deserve them. We've done something, so God is zapping us with a lightning bolt. And that we're going to unpack that. that is, we're going to move away from that idea. Christianity is not a meritocracy. Christianity is based on acceptance and belief and a lifestyle that, um, that grows out of that. So to help us shift from that Christianity is meritocracy to living a life fueled by grace, I, wanna, um, I want us to... Well, we, we could never spend enough time studying, meditating upon, enjoying the character of God and how he works. The A.W. Tozer, uh, theologian, he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Whether that's joy, whether it's apathy, whether it's anger, what, the things that we think about God are the most important thing about us because it shapes everything else. It can and it should shape everything else. So what I wanted to do was I gave us um, two verses to memorize from the book of Exodus, Exodus 34, 6, and 7. And it's the first time 
that we see a description of God's character, and it's God describing himself. So we're going to go through it, and I want to comment on the descriptors. And maybe close your eyes. I don't know. Just I, I want these descriptors to sink in as we further dwell upon the beauty of all that God is. Right? If, if you're here this morning and like maybe you had a bad day, you had a bad week, and you're seeing everything else through the lens of that, whatever that uncomfortable, unpleasant set of circumstances, person, whatever is. I want you to try to, like at the eye doctor, flip the lens, right? I want you to flip the lens and try to look at what's going on around you through the lens of this God that I'm about to describe to you. <clears throat> and this is a conversation God was having with Moses. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, sin, and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations. So when we think of this idea of God being compassionate, the root of that word compassion, it's an emotional, relational attachment. It actually comes from the root of the word for womb. Right? It's a nurturing, relational, literally life-giving connection between two people. There's several passages in the Old Testament that compare God to a nursing mother. The intimacy, the life-giving, the closeness of a baby being cared for by his mother, that eye contact from eight inches away, that's how God feels about you. That's how God moves in response to your circumstances. That compassion, that emotion that's with you and for you. God's graciousness is, so it's, it's a, a gift that is given by the giver with delight, right? So it's a gift given with a sense of delight. Somebody really, like, you ever given somebody a gift and you, you can't wait to give it to them? Like that's, like that's how God feels when he extends his grace to us. And it's characterized by what Tim Keller would refer to as prodigal generosity. It's an unreasonable generosity. It doesn't make any sense. It's over, above, and beyond. To someone who doesn't deserve it. To the outside observer, it doesn't make sense. God is slow to anger. So God, <clears throat> his anger is never his first, it's never his first step. Right? A lot of us, me, speak for myself, I will sometimes lead with anger. God's first step is never anger. And it's not his second step, and it's not his third step. God's anger is only brought about in response to human violence, to human betrayal, to um, God's people turning from him. But not on the first time, not on the second time, not on the hundredth time. This got, it takes a long, long time for God's anger to come to the surface. And then in a second, we'll, we'll kind of round that out. So don't get, don't get hung up on the idea that God is angry. It's there, right? But it's not how he leads. 
abounding in love and faithfulness. This, that word abounding, um, there were, it gets used throughout the Old Testament, and the, the variety of definitions go from um, way too much, overflowing, gushing, multitudes, uh, like a, a river that's, that's gone overflowing over, over its banks. And that's the modifier for God's love. Right? We talk about this, the Hebrew word hesed. That's the word for love here. And it's God's covenant love, which means that God cannot deny that love. God would have to cease to exist for the love that he offers to you to stop. That's what covenant love means. And his faithfulness, abounding in faithfulness, God is completely, completely trustworthy. I've been trying to read a, a psalm a day at, at lunchtime, and I've never really dawned on me before, but over and over and over and over again, the psalmists thank God for his faithfulness, how he's always, always there. He's always perfectly reliable. Maintaining love. That phrase gives the idea of protection, of a guard on a watchtower, keeping an eye over everybody, looking out for enemies approaching, making sure everybody inside is doing okay. It's a protective, it's a protective love. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's like the trifecta of screw-ups, right? That's all, all three of the, the different ways that the Hebrew language communicates um, human betrayal. It communicates human just crookedness and our kind of natural bent, um, violence, all the stuff that goes into there. There's not uh, a sin that's outside of God's forgiveness. And then the, the last piece that we spent some time on because people get, get stuck on it, but it's just the idea that God is perfectly just. He's perfectly just. His justice is, is measured and it's accurate and it's rational and it's, it, it's consistent. We can count on it. It's, God is not capricious in the way that, that he works. And so sometimes guys who sit in white ivory towers and uh, theologians and academics use the phrase that God condescends to us to make himself known in a way for our little brains to, to understand. But in reality, our God is beyond, beyond comprehension. So the words that I just gave you will never do justice. And part of that is we have a tendency to use a human framework human comparisons, when we hear about God as, as a parent figure, we think about our parents who are flawed. God is without blemish. His character is perfect in every one of his facets and in the way that he is our, our heavenly father. We think about grace that people can extend to each other, that human grace is limited. And I would, I would say, again, speaking for myself, when my grace gets pulled upon, it gets diminished, right? There's less and less and less of it, and it has a bottoming out point. God's grace is never diminishing. His grace is always full to the top. We cannot turn to him enough that would eliminate, that would reduce, that would put a dent in the grace that he offers to us. Human Forgiveness can be fickle. God's forgiveness 
is perfectly reliable and all-covering. Our love can often be uh, waning, and it's conditional. The love that God has for you is unconditional, and it's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God cannot love you any less. He will not love you any less. And his love is perfect right now. There's nothing you can do to earn more of his love. And his justice, we think about human justice as often biased and often abused. God's justice is perfectly even-handed and it's always protective. God is beyond our comprehension. And that's a, um, there's the whole forgiveness of sin thing. Jesus came and walked among us. But it's also to help us understand. Jesus came and walked among us so that we could understand all that God is and, and all that he does. There's a quote from, from a book that I would just um, encourage you to continue to grow in your understanding of God and move beyond those stifling human points of reference for God's character. Uh, he was talking specifically, the author was talking specifically about God's mercy, but I think it applies to, to all of it. It means that God is something other than what we naturally believe him to be. There's that scripture, God's ways are not our ways, right? It means the Christian life is a lifelong shedding of tepid thoughts of the goodness of God. My hope and prayer for each one of us is that we would continue to grow in our understanding of who God is. Because one of the benefits of eternity is that we have all that time with God to understand his infinite character and the way that his, his character, it's not just those perfect attributes, but those perfect attributes that come together. Right? It's not just his justice, it's his love. It's not just his forgiveness, it's his slowness to anger. It's not just his grace, it's his compassion. And they, they come together in ways that un, until we experience them, we don't, really, um, we don't really understand them. So all that to say, we don't earn any of that. We don't have to be, we can't be good enough. We don't have to, we can't do enough. God's slowness to anger, he doesn't get tired of us. He doesn't wear out from our questions, from our repeated mistakes. All we have to do is accept and believe. And when we turn and we face God, we find him already running at us with a huge smile on his face wanting to just throw his arms around us and welcome us. And it's not just where we start our relationship with Jesus. That's how Jesus feels about us day in and day out. When we make mistakes and when we're killing it and just doing everything right. So the verse in James is really specific and it's written in order. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The first piece of our resistance is submitting to Jesus, when we stop trying to define right and wrong for ourselves, when we stop trying to do life on our own, that's when the resistance starts. And that word resist is such a cool word. It actually means to rebel 
or to stand against. That's why I called this, this message stand. We want to make our stand first and foremost in Jesus against Satan and specifically his lies. All right, so it starts with Jesus. And then just, I'm just going to review real quick the tools that I laid out in front of us, specifically that prayer, Jesus, thank you for all that you did to win the war. Help us to fight these battles. Jesus has won the war. He lived a perfect life, died an innocent death, rose again, and has promised to come back. He won the war. There's lots of little battles between now and then that we have to fight, and we need his help to do that. The idea of intentional sound. We talked about how Satan hates music because through it, we worship God, just like we, ju we just experienced. And he hates silence because in the silence, we can hear from God. We can be challenged. We can be convicted. We can be encouraged when we hear from God. We talked about memorizing scripture. I gave you those two verses. The one that we looked at in more detail today, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And we looked at um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that talks about you are made. You are God's handiwork. You are God's poem, his art, masterpiece, created in his image on purpose, for a purpose, to do good works. And then the last one, scripture replacement. We take those verses that we memorized and we replace the lies that Satan tries to feed us with the truth of God. And we start with Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Starts there, and then we fill in the pieces. We track in? All right. Um, so that feels like doing a lot of stuff, doesn't it? The resistance. Right? We talked about it's not a meritocracy. We don't earn anything. We don't earn anything. But we have a part to play. Right? We let God do his part. We don't try to take his role from him. We don't try to do his job. We use the tools, the opportunities, the circumstances, the gifts, his word, prayer, our brothers and sisters, the various other spiritual disciplines. And we work really hard at those things. Right? Because grace isn't opposed to effort. We work really hard at those things knowing that our job is obedience, Jesus' job is results, and we work together in, in that manner. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you indeed that you have won the war. Thank you for that infinite price that you paid so that we might be free. Thank you, Jesus, that you um, didn't do that and leave us alone, that you sent your spirit to guide us and direct us that you want to help us fight the battles. Jesus, help us be the kind of people who start with you and become the kind of people who from the inside out can resist those lies of Satan, that we would do the hard things, do the internal work, that we would pray, that we would memorize scripture, that we would encourage one another, that we would rebel against Satan. We would take our stand against Satan knowing that in submission to you and in standing against him, he will flee. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
I have a few things, but I now have a few other things. Is that, does that make sense? <laughs> the Holy Spirit is like, <laughs> whirring around my head. Um, so, uh, a, a comment that has been made a lot in the last couple of weeks is like, wow, these services feel a little targeted. I'm going to add my name to the list today. Like, this feels a little targeted. But <laughs> I, I, one thing I learned somewhere along my journey was the difference between conviction and... Um, um, condemnation, thank you. And aren't we lucky that we have a Holy Spirit that like loves us so much that when we hear them whisper in our ear or point something out, it's because they're pointing us to Jesus. When we hear condemnation in our head, our we navel gaze, right? We go, woe is me, I am so bad, and we look down. So I just want to really encourage you in these services that we're having in this message. This is like tough stuff. I have been praying so hard for protection over this whole room when we are doing this every Sunday because it's like it, the devil doesn't want us to hear this stuff and know the truth and know that God is victorious. And um, so if you feel you're hearing something and, and it's making you, you know, condemn yourself and you're looking down and feeling more terrible about yourself, that is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lifts us up. It points us to Jesus. So I just really encourage you, maybe change the word targeted. <laughs> I'm going to change it in my vocab too. Like, you know, the, these, these messages do feel very personal and, and that's, that sometimes is really hard to wrestle with because we want to come to church and, you know, see our friends and go home. <laughs> but um, sometimes, you know, the Holy Spirit has stuff for us and I just really encourage you that if you're in that place and you want to talk to someone about it, there's lots of people here that will happily talk about that. Moving on to, sorry, this is my other things. Bruce, you know the slide that Tom just had with the four things that, um, that I just want to give you a quick, this is offering, okay? This is my talk about offering. So I grew up in a household where a, a story got told all the time about uh, bankruptcy that my dad and my mum had before I came along. And I think it scarred something in my psyche about providing and making sure you never were in that situation ever again and, and you know, all of that. And so two weeks ago, first time in my 24-year marriage to my husband, he was laid off. So it's a new experience for us, like we've never faced that before. And I just want to say, like, part of my wound and, like, the stronghold, the lie that got told to me also is about, well, then you better do something about it not to make that happen in your life, right? Like, don't ever find yourself in that situation. And for many years... Um, I, being a type A person, I will do everything I can to control, like, the money coming in, the money coming out. I have spreadsheets. I have all of that. You know, like, I, I know where it all is, all of that stuff. And it's because I think I had this voice in the back of my head saying, don't ever let that happen to you. The last few years, I feel like I have moved into such a different place. I'm not a by-myself-in-the-quiet person, okay? You hear me, right? Like, I like people. I like talking. I need stuff. But I have... Um, I have developed a habit of being okay with sitting um, in the quiet. I have also, um, th this psalm just kept coming to my mind this week, um, in these couple of weeks since Wayne lost his job, that I think I memorised it probably when I was in Sunday school, at Psalm 42. Also, we used to sing a song, As the deer panteth for the water. I don't know, we used to th think that panteth word was funny when we would sing it as teenagers. But, um, it, you know, it talks about longing for God. And then in the middle, it's got the, my most favourite image, I think, in the, in the Bible, which is deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. And it's like when we have our deep need for Jesus, he meets us with the deep love. Now, I feel like 
Tom just said all that, right? Like, he just said all that today. And the water running over and these waves crashing over us. And this psalm ends with, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And that psalm has just kept coming back in my mind. And I feel like that memorization that I did when I was maybe 13 has now, like, come up to the surface. So even if this week when you're memorizing verses, you're thinking, I'm not really sure why I'm doing this. It's all going in. So I feel like I have grown. Like instead of it being wounds, lies, vows, strongholds, it's, it's true submission and growth. Because to tell you the truth, in the last three weeks, I haven't been worried about this whole money thing and this whole job thing. And I feel like I have had victory or I've had growth in that area because my mind is filled with other things. It's not filled with, i got to control this, i got to do this, i got to make this happen for our family. And um, I think it, it's a testimony to Jesus' growth in my life. So I wanted to encourage you with that and say that as we say every week about offering, we don't know what anyone's financial <coughs> situation is. You may not have known that my husband lost his job three weeks ago, but we still ask you to come in worship and come before Jesus and submit and just lay it all out there and then trust him as you give. Trust him as you go through your week. So um, thank you for being generous givers and the different ways we give are up there. But <clears throat> I hope that I can just encourage you that it may not be money or offering today, but it may be something else that you can just say, you know what, I'm done. Submit. And here it is, Jesus, and I, I'm going to see growth in this area because I trust you.